What we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 Knows. Guys, this podcast is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us just think have it made is a way for the rest of us to realize we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, thank you. And please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Matty Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, shout it from your rooftop, beat people up on the street and force them to listen, whatever. If you can leave an iTunes review, boom, I love it. Either way, I appreciate the support. I'm glad you're listening, even if this is your first one. And I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. Because I'm a firm believer that anyone can get that foot in any door now. The trick is to be so irresistible that that person doesn't want you to leave. Welcome back. My guest today is Steve Sims, and he is awesome. He doesn't mince words, hates political correctness, and the word authentic, apparently. Little warning, he may or may not throw out a few F-bombs, but along with that, he gives us some great takeaways. His company, Bluefish, gets people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson, among others, experiences that mere money can't buy. He shares a few stories which help us understand why Forbes magazine called him the guy with the coolest job in the world. But the reason I really dig him is that despite his tough exterior and high-end friends, he's a guy who gave me not just one shot to interview him, but two. As you'll hear, our first interview is in the wind, as they say, after my system shut down during the initial talk we had a month prior to this one, about an hour and 10 minutes in. It was horrible. Luckily, Steve was just as interesting the second time around. In fact, he made me want to go out and read his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Here he is, Steve Sims. First of all, thank you. I want to just open the whole deal up with uh, letting people know about the gaff. I had you uh, probably like a month ago. We had an amazing conversation. I was so excited about it. You were referred through a friend I really respect. We were we were jiving and and like you, it was an amazing like uh, lightning in a bottle. An hour and ten minutes in, I look <laughs> down and the computer is off. And I have since found out this happens. People say keep it plugged. I didn't know if I had to go to another system. My sound guy says no. It just he said you wouldn't believe how many podcasts that I do that this happens. But. I apologize to the listeners. You missed out on an incredible conversation. <laughs> Hopefully, we're going to catch some of it right now. Thank you for coming back, man. I really no, it was a it. pleasure. You know, it was um, it was one of those things, and uh, it gave us a, a it gave us a very um, very obvious decision whether or not we kind of let that define us, or we came back and uh, tried to do something better. So uh, let's let's try and give the listeners what they needed. Yeah, and ironically, we what I do remember we left where we were in a conversation. I ended up getting tested with what we were talking about because you were talking about um, you had gone at some point to work for an insurance company and how they were, you know, they would give you they, they would give you the sheet. Ah, you the want to explain sheets. that to everybody? The yeah, yeah, yeah. explain yeah, that to everybody. So, I mean, I hate to jump in there, but it's going to be what it's going to be. Let's so get let's on with it. it. Yeah. All right. So, um, no, I was a, um, a bricklayer from East London. Uh, knew I didn't want to do that. Tried loads of different things just to try to find out where this square peg fitted um and i tried um i tried insurance salesman and you had to come in i don't know why but you came in at like 10 11 o'clock in the morning but the work really started at like five o'clock in the evening where you had to do the dinner time shift you know those annoying little bastards that phoned you up when you're halfway through your meal that was me so I hate those bastards yeah 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 oh no that was me that's the only reason i got the job because <laughs> no one wanted those jobs um but one of the things that sunk into me was that they gave me this sheet of paper. And on this sheet of paper, it had, you know, who you were calling, what time you called them, what was the response. It had all of this information. Um, and as you know from experience, most of the conversations last long enough to to be told to go fuck yourself. Right. So there was no box on here for me to be able to 
tick, so, you know, interrupted them during dinner would be your turn. And I remember the first couple of days, it would end up with, like, you know, Mary White, this was the phone number, called her at this time, uh, short conversation, told me to go fornicate with my parents, um, you know, not in, and it would be this. And the thing that would happen was by the end of the night, maybe it had two conversations yeah. that were good. There were, oh, it's funny you called me. You know, I've, I've just started a new job. I've got a new child. You know, something happened in your life that made you realize that you had to pay attention to other things that you hadn't paid attention when you were single or not caring or that kind of thing. And um, I, I noticed that those two great conversations were swallowed up by 400 negative go sod yourself right. responses. So at the end of the day, you couldn't help but be dejected, demotivated, and damn right shit on when you look at your call sheet to see that the ratio was 98 to 2. Right. Okay? How can you possibly go to work on, on a plus with that? So the following day, we sit down at our desk, we're given our sheet of numbers, and we're given our, sheet, uh, our, our response sheet, our call sheet, and I flipped it over. And, of course, it's blank on the back. And everyone that told me to go screw myself, I didn't make a note of. But everyone that told me something good, we're having a chat. Hey, could you call me back on a Wednesday? Sure, what would be, what would be best for you? Seven or eight o'clock? Okay, I'll call you. You made notes, you doodled little smiley faces. The end of the night came. Funny enough, by only recording the positives, I was up to like five, six, ten good positives. And I was not recognizing my go screw yourselves. Right. And I remember being pulled into the office and the manager's there who's about you know three years older than me and there's another guy that's been in the insurance age since, you know, the T-Rex. And they're both looking at you and they're like, yeah, you didn't go through the call sheets. I said, well, make it up. You know, everyone that I spoke to that's not on the good side of the piece of paper told me to go fudge myself. Yeah. You know? I chose to focus on the good. Now, do you know the funny thing? Because I'm only looking at the good, I went into every phone call upbeat. Right. On the other weeks, on the other nights, I was getting two, three, but I was recognizing all of my failures. I was recognizing all of my downs. But on when I was only recognizing my ups, I was more upbeat. People resonated to that. I got further. I was more successful by only focusing on that. Yeah. Now, of course, like the logical thing would be, congratulations, Steve, you're going to stay. But it didn't happen that way. I got fired. So, but it taught me a lesson very early on that it wasn't my, I wasn't there to recognize my failings. I was, I was there to recognize my goods. And by recognizing your failings, it kept you down. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the statements I made, and one of the uh, one of the quotes that ended up developing over the years in my book, was I wasn't allowing my failures to define me; I was allowing them to refine me. So every time I got someone that was a bit insulting on the phone, I'd try a new tact. Hey, look, I'm sorry I, I interrupted your 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 meal tonight. And yes, I will find out what it's like to fornicate with my mum later. But in the meantime, <laughs> you know, why have you given me this response? Yeah. You know, I would just try something different. Yeah. And there were a couple that rescued it, but um, it was just interesting to see what I was capable of, how I could. You know, if, if someone swears at you and you stand there and you go, well, screw you, you're getting nowhere. Yeah. But if you change your tone, sometimes they're like, all right, yeah, that's a funny one, but no, not tonight, funny. You go, all right, fair enough. Cheers, pal. Enjoy your meal. What are you having tonight, by the way? Well, I'm having sausages. Oh, shit, I wish I had sausages. I got to sit here and talk to you for freaking four hours and be told to go screw myself. But enjoy your sausages. We'll speak another time. And I just found that I, I learned this um, way to quickly interact. And I think I may have mentioned it to you before that I find the most skillful people at that social skill nowadays are bartenders, waiters, and waitresses. Because within one nanosecond of walking towards you, Bartenders, they don't even have the ability to walk towards you because you're sat in front of them. But if you watch a good bartender, there'll be 20 people that they're looking after that flirt with, with this couple. They'll be a bit more direct with this businessman or businesswoman. Yeah. They'll be playful with this older couple that are from out of town. He will change 
There's a chameleon behind that bar. And you could, I, I'm I, telling you. I attended you, bar for 10 years in New York City. It's one of the best. I met my sets. wife. Bartending. There you go. <laughs> I was I was on the door. I didn't learn much of that skill set because yeah. I had to look like the meathead that was going to kick <laughs> you out later. But I used to love watching the good bartenders, how they would just flip a switch between a couple a millimetre away from another couple that this one would they be like, hey, Bobby, what are we having? To-? Guys may not even be called Bobby, yeah. but it didn't matter. They would be playful with this couple. They'd be like, hey, you look as though you're having a good time. First night out, never met before. And then the next person would be like, good afternoon, sir. W- what do you want to drink? You yeah. know, How can I get you started? You know, there would be a reaction. You got to read. Shift. Yeah, you got to read people. You got to read it. And do you know what I did notice? I actually think I'm not a very good people person. What? No, no, no. I really, I can't tolerate the small talk shit. You know, me and you, you probably noticed I'm not here going, hey, how's the weather? How's your kids? That's great for you, but I'm not good at the small talk. I'm not good at networking. What's made me so good at communication is how shit the rest of the world's got over the years. And if it keeps going that way, damn, I'm Elvis within months because everyone's looking at all the social platforms. Yeah as their method to communicate with people rather than phones, grabbing a coffee, you know, making a phone call, making a Skype, sending a letter. They're doing everything that automates communication. The art of communication is dying, and it's the only thing you can't download an app for. So are you, okay, so, so man, there's so much that I'm, I want to get to because I you got such a fascinating thing you do and where you came from, but let's just... Talk about how you use the phone, how you get in, in, in person with people to do what you do. Because what you do is uh, is amazing to me, How you, what you've done for your clients. If you can even explain some of that, because we got into it last time. But like the how how... How do you implement that? Because I see you on social media. You are a rock star there as well. But it sounds like you're you are more just like pick up the phone, boom, and you you get into it with someone. Like explain something yeah. like that. Like explain the 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 Michelangelo, the David, that whole thing. That right. was amazing. So um, so my 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 career went from uh, bricklaying, uh, working on a door, to being probably the most prominent high end concierge firm in the planet. Um, and being very well known to about the top 2% of the planet. Um, I've worked with the Vatican, uh, the Titanic, major award shows, Elton John's Oscar party is next week, next week that you know that we're heavily involved with, have been for many years. Um, you know, I'm the guy that gets you on stage with your favourite rock, spa, uh, rock star uh, or gets them to come to your house and teach you how to play piano. Yeah, yeah if there's a need, a desire, uh, a lust, and a checkbook big enough, then I'm the real-life Wizard of Oz as called by Forbes. Um, So how do I do this? Uh, And luckily, because this is a podcast, no one can see that it's my stunning good looks. Um, (laughs) I noticed very early on that my tolerance was very low uh, with bullshit and flaky conversations. I want to know why am I here? Um, Why am I having this conversation? Why did I travel from the Hollywood Hills over to your house on actually a chilly day yeah, it is, in yeah. uh, in California, because we have got a bit woofy living here, haven't we? Um, <laughs> but uh, I drove over here because there's got to be something in it for me. I know what's in it for you, yeah. but I, it's, I, my life has got to be what's in it for me. You know, um, I've got my book, I've got all my consulting gigs, all of that. But I'm hoping that people change their methodology on how to communicate because I want them to improve the world that I live in. Because personally, I think it's going to shit. And I think most of our problems start and end with communication. So you mentioned about the Michelangelo. I had a very prominent client of mine in Europe that said to me that I want to uh, go to an exclusive restaurant in Florence. And, um, you know, quite simply, if anyone's ever been to Tuscany, there's no such thing as an exclusive restaurant. You know, you go in and ask for a table of two, you may be stuck on a table of 22, and you've suddenly got an increased family by the end of the night or passing each other the bread and the wine. It's just, that's the whole point of Tuscan living, you know? Yeah. So we had to create something that fit his parameter, gave him the exclusivity, gave him the cocktail story, gave him something very uh, affluent. So what we did was we took over the Academia Museum, uh, which houses Michelangelo's David, which is the most iconic statue in the world. Um 
and uh, way older and more prominent than the Statue of Liberty and Eiffel Tower and any of the others. Um, we actually took over the entire museum and set up a table of six at the feet of David, and then halfway through dinner for these clients, we had Andrea Bocelli come in and serenade them. But what I love also is that even like the other touch you had mentioned was that you were like, yeah, I'm going to get a local artist and we'll, oh, and, yeah. and so they're like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then he walks in. Yeah. We he, liked, we like to, uh, we like to play yeah. with our clients. So we told the client that, um, we've organized a dinner during the dinner. We'll have uh, some local entertainment come in. I even told him before he came in that the local entertainer that we were going to have couldn't make it, but I was going to run, run down the road and see if I could grab someone. Right. Um, so I even told him that. So he's looking, thinking, bloody hell, you know. And, of course, you know, I walk w with uh, Andrea Bocelli. So um, we do like to play with our clients. Uh, we like the uh, the anticipation, the anticlimax, the build-up again, the climax, the anticlimax. Yeah, we yeah. like to, to do that roller coaster through an evening. Um, I've always thought that if you go into a shop and you want to buy a red cake and someone gives you a red cake, then you just got what you paid for. There's no emotion to it. There's no experience. But if someone says, well, here's your red cake. By the way, I've got some beautiful yellow cupcakes. Have these for free. You've walked out with an increased experience. But So I always like to give people more than what they ask me for. Yeah. Um, and as we always say in my company, that um, we plan it for us. You just happen to experience it. You know, so we, 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 we tend to do that. But the communication aspect in how I get into, you know, the Vatican rock stars, you know, big A-list celebrities, uh, business rock stars like, you know, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, Warren Buffett, uh, Michael Milken, these kind of people, Donald Trump, is I am of the firm understanding that whenever someone comes to you, they already know what's in it for them because that's why they're contacting you. Yeah. So when someone phones me, or they reach out to me, or they email me, or they Skype me, or they text me, or they video text, or they Facebook me, whatever. The second before I've even opened up that that route of communication, I know you want something. Yeah. Otherwise, why are you contacting me? It's simple. It's not rude. It's a fact. You've gone out of your way to find me, reach out to me, because it's something you want. Okay? What I would like to know very quickly is what's in it for me? Why should I be on the call? Why should I have a podcast? Why should I meet you for coffee? Why should I get involved in this event? Now, again, it's not rude, but we're not getting younger. So whenever I communicate with anyone, I very quickly get to the point. Hey, my name is Steve Sims, and there's another angle which we'll talk about the leapfrog of credibility in a second. But whenever I get on that call, I say, look, my name is Steve Sims, and look, it's obvious I want something, but I want to tell you why you need to keep me on the phone. I want to tell you, you. put it right out there. Oh, I put it smack out there. Whenever I want a venue, hey, uh, I'm on the phone because I want something, but I just want to tell you why you need to keep me on the phone. I know you're holding a gala for a new roof. I know you, the rock stars, are going on tour. I know you're part of this foundation for charity. I know you're coming out with a new book. Any of these, re do your research. I know that you're part of a children's foundation. I want to help with that. Now, let me tell you what I want and how I can help your foundation with it. So quickly establish to the person that you've done enough homework that you can benefit them. Because I'm a firm believer that anyone can get that foot in any door now. The trick is to be so irresistible that that person doesn't want you to leave. That's where the talent is. Now, as you piggyback, and I've always talked about, and I think I may have mentioned to you before, you can't get on the roof unless you climb up a ladder. Now, I'm full of freaking quotes and, you know, these <laughs> kind of things. It's it's how I educated myself. I've educated myself on quotes. Yeah. Um, but, um, and systems. And whenever you're trying to do anything, think of it as a ladder. And I try to get someone in the same neck of the woods, just like me and you got to meet, I try to find someone that you hold with respect and credibility to make the introduction. So let's say for a second, let's give let's give the, the, the listeners a takeaway here. Okay. Say for argument's sake, I find someone in, and we're here in the Pacific Palisades, beautiful place. And let me let me just say for a second, I find out that someone just down the road from here is someone that I don't know. 
okay, and I want to get in touch with them. Now, I'm faced with a few ways of doing it. I can mail them something. I can have something delivered. I don't go through bloody Snapchat, Facebook. I never go through those. Never do. The caliber of people that I'm dealing with. Are not going to respond to No, they're not. But I know where they are. Maybe I know where they work. Maybe I know where they live. You know, we can cyber stalk anyone nowadays. And I know how to get in contact with them. But by me coming to them, they may not open the door. Yeah. And you, you're saying in front of me, would you open the door if you didn't know me? You know, <laughs> exactly. So, but how do I get hold of them? I may find By out. By the way, he he kicks some ass and he did when he was younger. We'll get into that. <laughs> Go on. Right. But um, I may find out through my cyber stalking that you were playing golf with him or you were involved in an acting gig with him or you were involved in a party with him. I may find out through the social pages that you were close. Right. So I'm going to reach out to you and I go, look, I just discovered that you and so-and-so were seen here. What's your connection? How tight are you? Now, nowadays, everyone talks about, I've got 5,000 friends on Facebook. I've got a friend is someone you know what their middle name is, what they drink, you know, what they don't like, what music they listen to. You know something about the person. Right. Okay. And so I want to know, is this just a Facebook friend? Or, hey, have you walked the kids, walked the dogs, or, or gone bowling with? You know, are you close to that person? And you can tell if you're close to a person. If you pick up if you pick up the phone, phone them, and you basically haven't even got a say. You just phone them and you go, Timmy, how you doing? They go, hey, Steve. Yeah. If you've got a phone them and go, Timothy, it's Steve Sims. You're not close. <laughs> All right? So, you know, I want to find out if you're close. If you're close, I'm going to say, look, do me a favor. You know me. Reach out to that person, explain who I am. I've got something of interest to him. Now, if my relationship with you is strong enough, then I've already got credibility with you. Right. And you'll go, I don't know what Steve's planned, but he's done this with Journey. He's done this with uh, with Elton John. He's done this with Guns N' Roses. He's done this with the Vatican. He's done this with the Titanic. You need to listen to this guy. So by the time I do communicate with him, He's kind of like, I heard about you. All right, so what's going on? And that's when you can go in, well, look, I, I'm going to tell you what I want, but I noticed that your school, that your kids go to, because it was on that website, so you're not stalking them on Facebook, you don't want to scare them, right. is trying to raise money for, for a new field. or a new. How about if that field had your name on it? Would that be of interest? It would stop the school having to raise the money, be a little bit of glory hound for you. Would that help? Because I've got a way that I can get you a field built. You know, so you're going into it. Now you have interest to them. And you can go, right, okay, let me tell you what I want. And if we can put it all together, we're both going to go out this happy. Right. And I'm a great believer in leapfrogging off of clients. Everyone that I've got to in the music industry, I've got to by someone else in the music industry making the introduction. When I needed to get a hold of the Vatican and the academia, I had very powerful people in Italy that I'd already worked with and made the communication for me. So I'm a great believer in leapfrogging off of that credibility. So it's a warm door that's opened up. Can I po- can I point something out about you uh, so people can hear this? Because Steve's here talking about you know the Vatican and rock stars and all that, but w- where I'm actually most impressed by you is y- you came to me. My friend recommended you. You immediately responded, you came here. We had an amazing conversation. We had a terrible technical gaffe. You, even with that, you just, you took it, you went. I texted you, said, I'll be back in three weeks. And the way you responded to me, to me, I go, I have a new podcast here. I love it, but it's new. You know, I'm looking at it going like, you know, I don't know what's in it for you. I mean, my listeners will hear your story, but the way you the human quality that you had with me in just being back here again today to me is is worth is is worth more than all the other names that you've you've mentioned and and that's extremely impressive but like if i were going you know i i would tell i would lead if i if you did come to me and said hey can i get to so and so i would lead with okay he's done this 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 but he also did this for me so you you have something in you I'm sure you must be conscious of it. That is, you put out before your 
before you're even asking. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm just thinking how you're saying what's in it for me, but I don't I don't know what was in it for you when you came to me the first time. I, I honestly don't know. Well, you were introduced to me from a, from a mutual friend. Yeah. So for a start, it was paying respect to him. Yeah. Okay. Um, I had a good conversation with you. I got to ride my bike over to Malibu and have a you know have a cool break. So yeah, there were those things that were in it for me. You handled yourself well. Um, the trouble is. Everything that you've just paid credit to me for yeah. shouldn't even be a big credible, deal. should it? It should just you know? be the way everybody is. It should is. be the way everyone's <laughs> yeah. out there. But Unfortunately, it's not, though. And that's what I said. Yeah. If everyone continues down the self-centered, obnoxious route that they are with their little insta-perfect worlds, I'm going to look like a fucking rock star because I'm still phoning you up doing this remarkable thing, like doing what I say I'm going to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's ridiculous. I remember, and I I, I know we, we probably crossed all of this in the past one, um, but I'm trying to remember what we went into. But I remember as a kid growing up in London, and I remember thinking I was poor. Um, and we were, financially. Um Never had takeaway, never went out for dinner. And I don't think I ever went out with dinner with my family until I was older and we could go for like a pub lunch on a Sunday. That was it. And even then, sometimes we wouldn't have an appetizer or we wouldn't have a dessert. We didn't have money. Um, but I remember during the week, my mum would give me my shopping list. I'd run down to the little corner shop for her. I'd go around the local shop. 90% of the time in, in England, they were run by an Indian family. You'd run around, you'd pick up all your stuff. You'd walk out the door. And as she's walking out the door, you'd give the list to, you know, whoever it was behind the, the till. And I remember we had this guy called Raj that used to, to do it. And I'd be like, I, I didn't find this. And there'd be like one item on there. And he'd be like, all right, Steve, I'll see him on Saturday. And you'd go. He wouldn't even check your bag. And then your mum would go in there on Saturday and he would have tallied up what I would, and she'd be like, oh, you know how you're doing? You know, it's like, you know, £10.50 or something like that. You know, we didn't get this, but by the way, we just got it in. So do you want to take it now? Be that kind of communication. Or I'd be sneaking off to school in the morning. I'd run past there and I'd pick up some chocolate. You know, I'd get crap for it on a Saturday when my mum went down there and found out that I'd had three bars of chocolate that week. But that was the life you were in. You try walking in a Ralph's or your local grocery store or supermarket today, filling up and walking out the front door and telling them you'll be back Saturday. Yeah. You know, it ain't going to happen. But that was the life I led. And I remember that if you said something that wasn't true or you upset someone in your neighborhood or you didn't do what you would say you were going to do, you got a smack in the mouth. You know, I heard you said this about my sister. Smack. Now, you may go back to him and go, right, I didn't. Let's find out who did. And then it'd be the, the gentleman, sorry about that, buddy. Yeah. You know? And you'd have that kind of, we don't have that now. You can jump on Facebook this afternoon, call someone anything you like, and nine times out of ten, not, not get any repercussions from it. Yeah. And I think it's altering how we communicate with people. People see me, I'm impossible to misunderstand, I want to be direct. I want to save you time. I want to save me time. But I want you to know what I'm after, what I'm in for. And if I say I'm going to do this, it's going to be done. Now, if you like that, chuffed in. Let's move on. If it doesn't work for you, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. And I'm gone. You know, and I'm into the next environment. Great believer that if, if I get a no, I'm asking the wrong question or the wrong person. And so I'm I'm always trying to be as direct and as obvious and as transparent. And you'll notice I'm avoiding the word authentic because that's the new freaking T-shirt word of this year. <laughs> We've had crushing it. We've had 10X and now we're on a fucking uh, authentic. I'm authentic. <laughs> I got to go check and see if that authentic might be in my, I, I've been here. I've heard a couple of people say that lately. Okay. I have a love hate with the authentic and I got to see if I have that on the uh, description of this podcast. <laughs> do you know, I was, <laughs> if I, I, do, was, I might have to put a line. No, <laughs> I was, at a, I was at a speech that I was given in. I'm, I've started doing a lot more speeches. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was at this speech in Newport Beach and I had been called in by a friend and they said, you know, I've been asked to get a really cool speaker. Will you do it? And I was like, so I wasn't speaking directly with the company. 
And so I went down there and I was introduced to the to the guy and we did it and we'd all come up and everything was good. And I was on at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'd gone down there ahead of time like I always do to kind of get a taste of the crowd that's there. And yeah. I went up on two o'clock at two o'clock and I started giving my speech and I started slagging off the word authentic and I got off and the guy got up on stage and he said that was fantastic he said the only thing that steve didn't pay attention to is we're called the authentic leadership and i had just spent 10 minutes ripping into authenticity <laughs> so i should have paid attention to the uh, title the of the meeting yeah. <laughs> but i'd done it for a friend so i'd missed out that but That's I, good. I, that taught me a lesson to just double check what, yeah. what's the title of the group who's the club you know, yeah, yeah. we better get that set up first. But, oh, speaking um, of clubs, actually, let me let me get because I I love this part of the story. So you 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 were in East London. Dad's a bricklayer. You're there for a little bit, and you were how old? Twenty when you went far east. You went to yeah, nineteen twenty years old. Yeah, you took a finance job over there. <laughs> yeah, Your wife was still in the UK. Yep, you go over there. You're in you're in Tokyo. Uh, no, we're, Hong Kong. Hong, Hong Kong. Sorry. And and talk a just just talk a little bit about that whole experience. You got there, you had this job uh, for a bank, I think it was. Yeah. And what, like two days in, and you got fired or you quit? So um, I went. Uh, I a friend of mine was working in this British bank, and they were doing uh, some recruiting for interns because half of the bank was moving over to Hong Kong to open up a new division in Hong Kong. Um, so when I went along to the bank. The whole goal was that I was getting to get an internship. Now I never went to college. I left school at fifteen, and I was on the building site the day after I left. Um, so I was feeling pretty narrow that this was going to happen. But um, when I went to the bank, they had the intern uh, people being sent to one of these big conference rooms. Yet all of the uh, stockbrokers that were actually going to Hong Kong were in this other room, and I saw through the door that they had this massive great buffet. And the intern program, they never had, they had coffee, you know. But this slate out of breakfast. So I thought to myself, the chances of me getting a job are slim, but the chances of me getting a free breakfast are high. <laughs> so I went into the stockbroker. So yeah, so I went into this room where um, the stockbrokers were all hearing about, you know, the history of Hong Kong, the British rule, and it goes back in 97. And, you know, you're going to be there and you're going to lead the charge into the tiger economy and all that. It was the first time I'd ever had salmon for breakfast, you know? <laughs> I challenged myself to eat as much of this buffet as I possibly could. And then as I'm sitting there scoffing everything, the guy on stage went, and make sure when you leave, the girls at the back have your uh, your details so that we can send you the welcome package. And I'm sat there with my pile of scrambled egg and sausage. So I walk over to this girl Poor girl at the back. I'm wearing my dad's suit. My dad was bigger than me. Shit suit. Sorry, dad. But, you know, I've got this bad suit on, eating the breakfast, walking over there. Um, and I've always had a shaved head. So, and, it, you know, I was a kickboxer at the time. So, biggish lad. Yeah. So, I walk up to this girl and I'm like, Steve Sims. Now, I'm still eating my breakfast. And, of course, she's flicking through the pages. We didn't have iPads and stuff like that. This was like 90, God, uh, 91, 92, okay. something like that. She's flicking through these sheets, and she's like, I don't see her. Now, of course she didn't see me. You know, I wasn't on the bloody list, you know. Um, longest I'd been in the bank was to get my breakfast. Yeah. And uh, she's, I'm like, oh, my God, not again. This keeps up. She's like, no, 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 no. So she takes my name down and takes the address down. I finish my breakfast, put it down, leave, look at the intern room, and I'm like, nah, I got because I had to get back to the building site. So I went back, and uh, two weeks later, we got a welcome packet that had, uh, you know, my flight tickets and everything in it to send me to Hong Kong. So I turned up on the Saturday, and... Um, Got drunk with them on the Saturday night. Got drunk with them on the Sunday night. Went to orientation on the Monday, and I was fired on the Tuesday. So, uh, so I'm now stuck in Hong Kong with a little bit of cash. Um, believe it or not, they had to give me a severance, really? which was hilarious. They had to give me like a couple of a uh, couple of weeks' wages, um, and because uh, they'd fired me. Right. And uh, they told me I could stay in the apartment. Of course, the apartment I shared with some other stockbrokers, so they bloody hated me. Yeah. So um, I just used to kick around at the bar at night just to stay away from them and then go back to the apartment and sleep during the day. 
Um, and then, you know, one night I'm sat outside this bar that I used to regularly drink at on my own, Billy No Mates, trying to work out what the bloody hell I was going to do because I'm in a different country now and um, going through this money fast. Um, and the uh, the owner of the club, a woman, came over to me and she said, look, you know, you're big. Can you throw these guys out? Because if my guys come out, they're going to hurt them. And um, that was it. I started working on the door in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah, and the way you, you the way you went in there to those guys, didn't you kind of explained it to them? You said, "Look, it's going to be me, or it's going to be you." And didn't that almost what I remember you telling me was was the way you did it was you didn't just get them out of there. You said, "Look, hey guys, you know, you, you went up to them. You said, "Look, you can cause a problem, but if you do, these guys are going to come from around the curtain yeah. and going to beat the crap out of you, or you can go down to so and so place." And, yeah. and sent them there. And it's, it, you know, as I remember you you telling me, was kind of like the initial seeds of what you do now, it sounded like, started there where you realized like, oh, I can, you know, I, I can take these people and go, what do they want? What will they need? And send them to this other place. And then you, you didn't, you started working the door and then people would come in and you'd kind of like go, no, you don't want to come in here yet. It's not, it's not happening in here. Go down to so-and-so. Would yeah, you- I don't think she was happy with me sometimes, but you, you're right. So when those guys were, when she told me that she one of those guys kicked out, I just put my whiskey down, walked inside, sat down at this table with a bunch of a bunch of uh, British guys. I found, I think, some of them were Australia as well. And they were walking like, you know, Larry and drinking up. And of course, they've just had this new guy come and sit down on this desk, on this uh, chair with them. And I just said to him, look, fellas, look, here's the deal. I've just been asked to, to ask you to leave. Um, I really don't care if you do. It's up to you. But there's a bunch of guys around the corner with loads of sticks. And if you don't pay your bill and walk out the front door, they're going to take you out the back and you may not see Tuesday. So I really hope you make the smart choice. Um, and by the way, you know, there's a bar down the road. And I just advised them of another drinking hole that I had ended up that wasn't so as refined as this high-class establishment right. I was currently in. Um, and that's a joke of anyone knew Hong Kong in the 90s. Um and uh, I went, there you go. I hope you made the right choice. I hope to see you walk through the front door. And I got up and went back outside. And they walked out and they were like, yeah, cheers for that, mate. Cheers. And I was like, oh, you're welcome. And she asked me if I would do door work. So started doing that. I then knew that I I wanted to get another job. I didn't want to be doing door work, you know. Um, I always knew what I didn't want to do more than I knew what I wanted to do. But I was never frightened of making the move. Yeah. So I knew, okay, I'm on the door now. I don't want to be here. Where do I want to be? Well, I want to be where rich people are. Well, hang on a minute. Where do you, if you want to go fishing, go where fish feed. You know, that was always a simple thing to me. That was before bluefish ever came along. That was just a simple thing that my dad used to go, you know, try and find where the fish feed. Yeah, where the, where the, you know, feeding or fucking, that's where the fish are, you know? Yeah. So, um, Working on the door, I thought, well, okay, you know, this this is pretty good because I'm seeing some regulars come in. So I started kind of like thinking, if I know a bunch of rich people and they know that I'm a cool cat, that'll give me a job. So I started identifying who were the regulars, who were the tourists. And when the regulars were coming over, if it was empty inside, I would stop them. I'd be like, not tonight, guys. And they'd be like, well, is, is there a problem? I'd be like, no, 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 it's not you. It's the club. You're going to go in there. You're not going to be happy, and you may not come back again. But the real club that's kicking off tonight is down the road. Go out there, speak to Jerry, tell him Sim sent you. Have a good night there tonight. This place apparently is going to be real good tomorrow night, so I'll see you back another night. And I started doing that and started building up a kind of reputation that I was a good oracle of where it's happening that night. Yeah. Um, With that happening... Also build trust. Yeah, they would tend to come to me... To see where to go. yeah. And nine times out of ten, if I would say to the girl, I would say to the owner, I'd say, look, you know, the girls are being like, you know, this, or, you know, the guy on the bar is crap, you know, so replace that. Oh, let's get some better music in. Or, you know, Jerry's is doing really well because that, and she was then listening to me. And I was becoming this like networker, club promoter, uh, doorman, you know, it was just this weird thing that I was becoming. But it's a great example of not just being defined by your role. How many people 
are a doorman and they're like, oh, I got to be the doorman. I hear, I check IDs, I keep people out, I stop fights. You were like, where could I be of service? Where could I, where could I help the club? Where can I make the, the music's better, make it cooler? It's going to benefit me. And where could I also benefit my customers? And then that benefited you. But it, it's, it's interesting because so many people just take what they are given and just go, oh, yeah. And then they bitch about it. You, where you, you kind of like, it sounds like you were creative, maybe not thinking of it that way, but you just, the way you reacted, you like made your own position. I wanted to be a value. Yeah. Uh, I've always, I, I've always been a value proposition. So if something's not of value to me, and I'm like that, even with motorcycles, if there's something on the motorbike, that's of no value to me, get off the bike. It'll save weight, you know? So I'm always like that. I look at, I don't look at the big shiny objects. I look, well, is, does that, does that work? Does it work for everything I want? If it if it doesn't, then why do I want it? Yeah. So even then, I knew that people wouldn't talk to me just because I was this big British guy that, you know, stopped fights. They would talk to me because I was a value to them. And if I could be a value to them, and I, you're right, it was the beginning, beginning of my, my, my style. But if I could be a value to you first, then I could be, you could be a value to me later. Um, and I would start building that up. And without realizing it, while not knowing what I wanted to do other than to build up a network, I was I was building up a damn good network. Yeah. And I was actually building up income because as I would do things and advise them, I never, ever had a problem going, well, that's going to be 500 bucks. You want to go there? That's that's 10 grand. You want to do this? That's 1,000. You know, I would always be that person – Great believer, and if they don't pay, they don't pay attention. You told me that last time, and I want to. I want to ask. I want to have you talk about it because it's something that a lot of people, myself included, struggle with. And you, you said you were confident as a kid. Some of it came from learning to fight, how to handle yourself. Some of it was just you just said you were like a cocky bloke. I think was the word you used, and whatever it was. But but like that ability to just go, you know, you you stand toe to toe with some of the world's. Leaders. I mean, you're talking about guys like Elon Musk and Richard Branson. Uh-huh. You don't seem to. Um, you, you're so personable, but, but you also are like, "Yep, this is what I'm worth. It's gonna cost you this much." And it sounds like you had it way back then. It's gonna cost you 500 bucks to get on that boat party. Where does that come from, or or could you coach someone who's listening who's not good at that? Because there are a lot of people who listen who are like. They're, they're really talented. They can't ask for money. They're weird around money. Right. What's your advice to someone like that? Um, or is it just like you're born, you were born with this and you don't think? No, I don't think you were born with it. I think it was advantageous to where I come from. Um, I made a comment earlier in this podcast that I, I grew up poor. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I realized I had probably one of the wealthiest upbringings because it had taught me so many things that if I thought I could get away with this, a week later I got a smack in the mouth, I realized I hadn't got away with anything, you know? And I realized that if someone doubted your word, then you were losing everything, you know? So I became that guy that I didn't have an art form that I could write HTML code in or, or, or you know, diagnose a rare cancer or write a, a brilliant tune. I never had any of those talents. But you're street smart. It was all street smart. And I was a great believer that even now, um, those failings, those mistakes, those hiccups, those issues, and like you, let's let's pick on you, yeah. all right? So for anyone listening, um, uh, there is a, a a little studio at the back of your garage, and uh, I'm calling you out now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you've got a, a blue sofa, little uh, a coffee table, like an Art Deco coffee table, uh, Apple computer, and some some really nice mic setups. All right, that's for the people that can't. Now, the last time that we were here, we were sat next to each other. Okay, which meant that we had to turn our backs while still trying to crane our mouth towards the microphone in order to do it better. Okay, now we had a problem with the uh, the computer last time, but in coming back, we're now facing each other. We're not having a crack. So you've learned from that mistake. Yeah. Okay. Now it cost us the last podcast. Yeah. But from that podcast, your setup by just tweaking where we're sitting to each other now is better than what it was. Yeah. Now every 
every child out there, especially in America, is taught as we get older, you then hit college. Now, the first thing that happens when you go to college is you get in debt, okay? It's either you getting in debt or it's your parents. But bottom line of it is someone's paying for your education. Well, when you fuck up, isn't that the same thing? Aren't you paying for that education? And there's an old saying, again, me and my bloody quotes, experience comes two seconds after you needed it most. <laughs> okay? You learn things as you fall down, and it costs you things. I've got into contracts, and I've lost two grand, five grand, 250 grand. Okay? Never made that same mistake again. I've made other mistakes, but I've never made that mistake again because that, was paying for the education to learn. Yeah. And that's how things happen. As I grew and I made mistakes, I fell over, I learned how to communicate with people, I intimidated some, I was too friendly with others, I learned all of these different things. The one thing I did learn was that I was paying for this ed education. And then what I suddenly learned was, hang on, it cost me to get to where I am. Now, I can do this by making a phone call. You're not paying me to make that phone call. You're paying me for the 23 years it took me to be able to make that phone call. Now, if I don't value that phone call, and if I don't value that access, how the freaking hell can I expect you to? Boom. It didn't, it, it yeah, doesn't. I, I feel the same way with, with what I do in terms of I always say this about voiceover. You know, I do this voiceover gig. I do a, bunch, a couple of different ones, but I've had one for Mazda that I've done for for years. And I always say it's like, and I tell them that you know, it's, I'm like, I feel like I'm I'm robbing someone to do it because I think it's so, you know, it's like you could show up in your boxer shorts and do it. It's it's nothing. But I'm not getting paid for that. I'm getting paid for all the years of getting smacked down and then being, you know, then being in a position. To, to then get a job like that. And it's like that always with acting. I mean, I love to do the art. It's it, I would do that for free. It's getting to that position. Yeah, that's, but but that's a great the You've way you- have got to, look, I get flown around the planet to do some of the most incredible things. Um, and I have a damn good life. I'm not sure I would go as far as what you've just said about doing it for free because I value that what I have gets you where you want to be because I got you there. So I thoroughly enjoy doing what I do. I absolutely do. And we've often joked, me and my wife, that, you know, one day we reckon that the SWAT team are going to like descend on my house and just go stop. And we're going to go, why? And they're like, there's got to be some reason that you should not be able to do. Well, you're just having too much fun, yeah. so just stop it, you know? <laughs> um, but I'm a great believer in in that value again. And if you don't value yourself, like Master, Master could have me doing their voiceovers, okay? Would I appeal to the community? Would I appeal to that crowd? Would I have the right tone? Now, I'm not pitching Mazda. Don't call me up. If you're Mazda, don't phone me. Um, but you know, with you, you're a value to those people. You're a conduit to get that message into the ear rolls of the people that resonate with your tone and voice. You're a bloody value. Now, you should be thrilled and love and enjoying everything you do. Everyone should. Otherwise, if there's no passion, there's no point. That's up on my website all the time. But you should also value yourself. And if you're valuing yourself, you should charge someone if they want you to participate in that life. Yeah. I think that's called the power pause, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> I think it might be. I don't know. I'm taking in what you just said. I'm but just I kind just, of like I running remember, it through the computer here I will, in my we'll, mind. Go, we'll go over the story of the boat people because I remember being on the door in Hong Kong, and these regulars came in, and they asked me, did I know about the boat party that was going on in Hong Kong? And I went, oh, there's a few. Which one you want about? Because I don't bloody know. Um, and they went, oh, it's this one, this one. I went, oh, yeah, I'd heard about it. You know, of course, I had not. And I said, oh, you're going to that. They went, we can't get in. And I remember looking at these people, and I break it down. People get scared, and they go, oh, the Vatican. You dealt with the Vatican. The Vatican's a public venue. Okay, 
social local community hall. Would you be wound up or would you be nervous about contacting your local community centre to rent it for a Saturday afternoon for your kid's birthday party? The answer is no. The Vatican's just a bigger elephant. Same principle, same communications required. There's more people to go through. The number may be bigger, but the the, the structure that you go through... The dynamics are the same. It's all the same. Okay, now we haven't plugged my book, but the bottom line of it is, I'm a bricklayer from London working with the people that you've dropped names on and the events that we've dropped names on because I follow the basics. The basics have never changed. Whether I'm dealing with Elon or whether I'm dealing with uh, Sir Elton John, principles and the dynamics have never, ever changed. But I'm doing it because nine times out of ten, you're too shit scared to do it, or you're double-guessing yourself. And while you're there going, oh, I don't think I can do that, you're right. Because while you're thinking that, I've already done it, okay? Or I've tried it once, failed, learned not how to do it, became educated, done it twice as better the next time. So when these guys came over to me and they said about this boat party, I I just remember being sat on the door, stood on the door with this uh, fellow meathead, I'm thinking, you know, your pie, you know, I'm just, what I couldn't fathom was that these were good looking guys in that prime. Credit cards could afford anything. I was seeing them dropping money on champagne and flirting with the girls and stuff. Why would they not be in a party where people are selling stuff? You know, launching new cars, new jewelry, stuff like that. And you see a lot of these events, and there's all these socialites in there. I'm telling you quite honestly, most of those socialites can't afford shit. So where I become really good is I get buyers in there. I get people that actually respect the value of the dollar, are looking to experience new things, are looking to have their eyes open to a new environment, a new a new texture, a new watch, a new car, a new leather, something to open their eyes to a, something new, okay? We're thrill seekers. We're adventure seekers. That's what the new entrepreneur is. We want something that we'd never tasted before. And I'm there to put them in that environment. So what I couldn't understand was why they had not gone down to the yacht. So I t- spoke to my buddy and I went, give me, a, give me a few minutes. And I went down to the yacht party. I hadn't started yet. It was early in the evening. And I went down there and there's this girl on there with a little flip chart. And I went, I just wanted to ask you a question. Uh, the, the guys are coming down tonight. I uh, wanted to know, I know it's going to get busy and there'll be a bottleneck. Would you rather they were here at eight or nine? And so never ask a question that someone can answer a no with. So she's flipping through her chart. Never answer a que- Never ask a question that someone can answer a no- with a no. Huh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Never do it. So she's flicking through her chart, which I found funny because if you think about the question I asked her, I hadn't even told her what the guy's names were. Why was she flipping? But it was a natural reaction. People react before they think. I ask you, can you do this? Your initial reaction wants to be no. And you don't even know what my question was. I posed a question to her. Her reaction was to hide behind her flip chart and start flipping through these 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 names, which, as I say, I'd not even mentioned. So she's going, uh, I, and so I said, oh, I'm sorry, I know you're busy, so let me just, you know, would you prefer eight or nine? And so then she turned around and she went, um, nine. Great, fantastic, I'll make sure they come down. I know you're going to be busy. They're going to be excited. So I want to be the one that says thank you. And I remember slipping her like 400 bucks. I think I was getting paid like five or 600 bucks on the door. So I just paid most of my nightly wages to this girl. Yeah. And she was like, oh, um, what was their names again? You know? So I gave the names. They weren't on the list. So she added them to the list. I said, thank you so much. I gave her my number. We didn't have emails then. Gave her my number. And she said, look, if there's another event, go, I'll let you know. I said, thank you. Look, you're going to be busy tonight. So grab a whiskey now. Enjoy the night. Relax. Tomorrow will be here soon enough. She's like, oh, thank you very much. So you're just being polite. It's called respect for people, you know? Another talent that people are losing. So I went back to the bar, walked up to the boys. When I, I just double-checked. I got you in there. The four you can go tonight, 500 a pops, two grand. Hand out. And they went, 
Wow, brilliant. Thanks, Steve. I got the two grand in my hand. So after what I'd actually put, I was netting 1600 bucks. Holy crap. I noticed story. something then, and this is this is a very good reason to go. How old were you at this time? 22, 23? 20, yeah, 23, 24, something okay. like that. Okay, go on. You noticed. And it. I noticed something that they hadn't had any issue with paying me. But the biggest reason that they hadn't gone down there and tried for themselves was they were frightened of rejection. I noticed a valuable lesson that night how most people are actually scared of the big H, humiliation. And then it made me backtrack. If you remember being at school, and this is still prominent now, you're in school, you're in your class, and you ain't getting what the teacher's telling you. You put your hand up. Now, the teacher will go, Stevie, you know, what is it? I don't understand that, miss. And she'll explain it, okay? All the other kids are looking at you. Now, you're still not getting it. Do you put your hand up a second time? Most of you out there is going to go, hell no. Because then everyone else in the class is going to turn around to you and go, Steve's a spastic, Steve's a gimp, and all these other politically incorrect things that we're not supposed to be saying now. But everyone's going to stare at you and start flicking paper at you and calling you a moron because you don't get it. So nine times out of ten, you'll keep your, help, uh, your hand down the second time and go, yeah, yeah, I get it now, I get it now, and you don't. We're frightened of humiliation. I remember this, and this is a, this is a fucking horrible story that I'm going to tell you now, and I think I told you last time. Did I tell you about the girl that fell over with all of her bags in the shopping mall? No. I was with my wife, been with my wife forever, and there was a woman a few steps in front of us, and there were some people in between, and paying no attention to her, but I had noticed this woman had a lot of bags, okay? And as she's walking along, this, this, this older woman tripped, okay? And as she tripped, the bags went everywhere, and she fell down trying to hold, hold up. Now, of course, with the bags on her arm, it didn't give her the ability to bring her arms up to protect, so she went down bad. And I tried to get to her. My initial reaction was, a lady's gone down. So my wife will know that. I don't care about all your politically correct shit now. For a lady, you open up the door. A lady needs a seat, you get up. A lady falls over, you help her down. All right? Fuck anything, any politically correct. <laughs> That's what a man does. Okay? This poor lady went down. I jumped up. There were some guys in front of me that I'm, I'm thankful. They were the same mentality. They got there before I did. So I got there, started you know, bringing over the bags, bringing over a shop and stuff like that. Other people have stood around watching, okay? As she got up, she started looking around. Her head was like doing the old uh, prairie dog, looking around everywhere. And I thought, oh, is there some family around her or something like that? So I said, is everything okay? Her, she turned around to me and she said, I just wanted to make sure no one was videoing it. This poor woman had fallen oh. down. Now, as anyone knows when you get older, and I motocross and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't do MMA anymore, but as you get older and you get a bruise, that bruise lasts longer the older you get. You know, a kid falls over and breaks his leg. Two days later, he's running around again. You're 50 and you break your leg off a motocross, you're done for 10 months. Okay, this woman fell over and hurt her elbows and was visibly, you know, you could see her. She was shaken up. But all she cared about was some little shit would video it and post it. And that really upset me. Yeah. And I thought that we are driven now by humiliation. We're not willing to take risks in case someone sees them. Now, I can tell you quite simply about a guy that I know and respect and love and think he's freaking awesome, a gentleman by the name of Elon Musk. He has just successfully done the big Falcon 9 and had the rockets come back and re-land. Did you see all of that? I saw it, yeah. Yeah, and he was all over NASA, okay? His biggest client is NASA. NASA employed a team to actually throw shit at him when he was starting up. If you can, you can go back and you can look at all of the tweets, all of the remarks where NASA scoffed at Elon Musk getting into the space trade. Okay? Elon came along and said it's been done like that for 50 years. 
why do we need to do it for 51? Let's try something different. And they were like, no, you can't do that. New player coming in. No, there's no way for space to be a public domain. Uh, this is NASA. We can do this. Thank you for trying. It's very nice, but stick to PayPal, sir. You know, stick to your electric cars. Now his biggest client is the one that threw shit at him. Because he never recognized any of that. He wasn't frightened of the failings. How many rockets do you know that failed from SpaceX? How many Tesla cars do you know burnt up, blew up, failed to go anywhere? None. Because Elon never recognized them. You were never given the ability to recognize them. Because he never used his failures and his mistakes to define him. He used them as educational. Well, that didn't work. Now let's try this. And now he's... Everyone's out there hailing him as he should be. A great success. You're making me think of something you said. You said all the people you deal with. You said this last time, I think. All the people you deal with, these, you know, the Richard bunch of Francis, failures. They're a bunch of failures yeah. on a massive level. Yeah. I and went it's, into, and it's, uh, isn't that the, the Thomas Edison thing about how he, fa- you, you know, the, um, w- with the light bulb that it's, it's, there's some quote. I would think you would know the quote. Do you know, about, I like, don't know it's, the Edison it's, it's, quote. I th- there's some quote about failing. Like he didn't, you know, he didn't fail. He was oh, experimenting. That's it. Uh, you I know, just learned how to do it. A th- I learned how not to do it a thousand times. Yeah, or so. yeah. yeah. I remember there's a, a great friend of mine, uh, Joe Polish, that runs a 25K group. Um, and he has some incredible people in there. You know, Peter Diamandis. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, Ariana Huffington, just a whole host of just tremendous people. And I remember the first time I went there being intimidated. I don't really get intimidated much. Very quickly did I discover that all of these people were failures. But again, they hadn't allowed it to define them. And I remember someone actually asking me, why are you a member? Because I'm not a member of, I'm not a member of much. And I'm a member of Joe's group. And someone said to me, you know, why are you a bunch of, why are you a member of, of Joe's group? And I said, because I get to associate with a bunch of failures every month. I said, and that allows me to grow from their mistakes. And I am constantly telling my kids, fail, fail harder. I fail on a daily, monthly, weekly basis. And if I don't, I haven't tried hard enough. That's... Mm. It's so great. It's so great to hear that. That's and and that's a recurring theme here. Everybody that I talk to, you, you can't do something great without, without falling on your face. You really can't. You got to. And I remember uh, I'm going to go into uh, one of my uh, my stories with my uh, my dad. My dad's this big, thick-headed Irish bricklayer fella. I remember walking down London with him once, and he's smoking his like thirtieth cigarette in the last ten minutes, just like a bloody constant chimney (laughs) and I'm walking next to him without breaking stride and without looking at me he put his hand on my shoulder and I kind of looked up at my dad and as I say he didn't look at me and he just said to me son no one ever drowned by falling in the water they drowned by staying there and he took his hand off my shoulder and as I say never even broke a stride never even stopped smoking and we carried on walking and I remember being like like a kid thinking what the fuck was that where did that come (laughs) you What? I just like, what was that? You know? And then it, it kind of grew on me that the beauty, the absolute beauty of failing is that you learn to get up. And no one wants to get a smack in the face. No one wants to fall off a motorbike. No one wants to get into a car crash. No one wants to fail at business. No one wants to miss a bill. No one wants to not turn up to something. But when those things happen and you get back up, you get back up taller. And you go, and I've, I've, always, been, I've always been saddened when people haven't had those experiences. And I've gone to events, and the the, the cool word thing now is an entrepreneur. Let's be honest. In the 80s, you were an entrepreneur because you couldn't get a job, okay? (laughs) Nowadays, everyone looks at an entrepreneur like that Superman, okay? Or Superwoman, let's keep it political. Um, But that's what they do now. 
The simple fact is, is if you haven't been fucked over, screwed over by your best friend, embezzled from, uh, someone stole all your shit and then put it on their website, someone screwed you over on a contract, if any of those things damn near bankrupt, um, spending your credit card to keep the lights on, um, gone asleep and not been able to, to sleep that night because you can't afford payroll Friday, if any of these things have not happened to you, you're not an entrepreneur. If they've not all happened to you, just wait, because they will. You know, <laughs> I remember working at the insurance company and actually going to the, um, the closet and bringing toilet roll home because I wasn't earning enough money and I could get some free toilet roll from the office. Yeah. You know, I remember those things. I, I still remember them, and you should. But you know what happens when you get the other side of that? You remember what you had to do. And you remember that you were able to do it. And you remember that it didn't kill you. And the old thing about if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, is so accurate. Yeah. But if you haven't fallen over and got back up, you don't know what you're made of. You don't know how you can handle it. And when you do do it and you get back up, you go, eh, it didn't hurt as much. I remember getting into fights as a youngster and I got into kickboxing because as a big lad at school, I would get picked on because I was the way you earned your stripes, you know? And I was I was like this, like throwing haystacks. You know, I was not a good fighter as a young lad. And I went to kickboxing because I was like, I am pissed off with getting beaten up. I'm going to go and do kickboxing. And do you know, the more I learned how to fight, the less I was in fights. And you're in a fight and you think to yourself, I don't want to get a smack in the head. And then you get a smack in the head and you go, well, actually, it's not like Hollywood. It didn't just throw me through a window. It didn't just knock my teeth out. There's not a big splurt of blood gone across the wall. Um, I'm still up. you know. And it was that sudden kind of like, oh, okay. And so nine times out of ten, the stuff you think is actually going to hurt you, doesn't hurt you as much as it as it you think it can. And so it's that humiliation, it's those fear, it's those two things. And put them together, the fear of failing. Put all those things together, those are the things that create paralysis. And it's that paralysis that will fuck you up every single time. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd venture to say not only will those things not hurt you as much as you think, those things are actually necessary to help you get to where you want to go. I mean, you, you can't learn, you kind of can't learn you know, podcast, great example. You can't learn how to do a podcast unless you do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't. I mean, and Jay was great. He was like, just do it. Just do it. I, I put it out there. I didn't, you know, and then you course correct. And, and now you've, you became better from the failing we had last time. And now we've got a better setup. I am far more relaxed in interacting with you. I'm far more comfortable. Um, <laughs> and the, the bloody thing's recording. So, you know, everything's yeah. working from it. So yeah. you last time just got educated on how to do something better. Yeah. And thank you for, I know you have a time constraint I today. Do. So we're actually over, way over what you wanted to do. We're at like an hour <laughs> and five. Um, this this was awesome. It, it was different than the last time, but better in way, just different and, and incredible. Good. Uh, thank you so much for coming back, man. It's a I pleasure. All the best, pal. Oh, Give every, okay, so your, your book, huh? you talked about your dad's quote. That's the name of your book. Uh, well, yeah, the book, well, he's in there. It's not the name of it. but um, So I've got a book out called Blue Fishing. Oh, Blue Fishing. The Art of Making Things Happen. Oh, okay. I thought you had one that was the, the actually the- The uh, drown. The drowning. No, one. that's just one of my big quotes in there. Ah. So there's a bunch of quotes through it. There's a bunch of lessons, but it's basically to tell you how to communicate, how to market, how to brand in a primitive, raw, transparent, and if you want to use the word authentic, you can, which is not in front of me. So yeah, it's I'm all going to stuff. get it and read it. I suggest you guys do the same. Steve Sims, you can see him on uh, Instagram. I know you're not. Yeah, I'm on there. Steve, SteveDSims.com. Yeah, uh, check him out, man. Thank you so much. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.